everybody. My name is Richie Hessian, and welcome to The Other Side, the official podcast of Blue Crest Recovery Center. Um, I'm the CEO, and we thank you for joining us today to discuss one of the newer, I don't know if it's a newer aspect of addiction treatment, Nick, but um, the use of Suboxone and other medically-assisted treatment as an alternative to treating substance abuse um, disorder. Uh, we're an abstinence-based place, Blue Crest, but uh, MATs is uh, is is a, 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 the topic du jour, and we're going to get into it. Um, this episode is going to be a lot about Suboxone, although we're going to try as best we can, and you guys will hold me accountable, not just to only talk about subs, and that we can get to some of the other uh, um, useful, helpful um, uh, MATs, and then you know, one other that's not particularly helpful at all. Maybe we should even talk about methadone early in the podcast just so we can get the synthetic synthetic heroin out of the way and then we can all just agree together that it's not a reasonable substitute and uh, we can move on to other topics. Would you agree with that, Nick? I would agree with All that. Right, thank God. I just want to make sure. So um, <laughs> let's start by introducing everybody. First of all, remember that you can listen to this podcast on our website, bluecrestrc.com, or you could subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And for anybody who is watching live on YouTube, sign into your YouTube account, and then you can ask questions. Um, and if you do, Nick is in the back. Nick, yell hello. Hello. I hope everybody can hear that. But Nick is going to be uh, yelling out the, every so often. He'll say, hey, we have a question from a listener, and then he'll yell it out, and we'll do the best we can to, to answer it. So today, joining us for the podcast, I have to my right, uh, Mark Bonani. Mark is the, God, you say your title for uh, Princeton uh, Detox. Director of Business Development for Princeton Detox and Recovery Center. Boom, there it is. And we have uh, Dr. Mohammed Ijaz. Hi. Um, I'm internal medicine board certified, addiction medicine board certified, uh, I practice in North Jersey, Clifton, Patterson, Aquanic, yeah, all across. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Nick Colangelo, the CEO of Brookdale Treatment. Is it Brookdale Premier Treatment Center? Brookdale Premier Treatment Center in Scott Run, Pennsylvania. Scott Run? Scott Run. Okay, nice. Um, so these guys are my esteemed colleagues. Everyone at the table has a lot of experience with, um, I don't know if, we're all pro pro or against. I think Nick said it before we started that it's not either or. There's no good or bad. There's good uses and bad uses for um, Suboxone specifically. Um, but what we're going to do, we're going to jump into. I'm going to read. I don't usually go off the paper, but I'm going to read off the paper at least to start off and to kind of set the tone. Um, first topic introduction is the number of cases of opioid abuse disorder and substance abuse disorder are rapidly increasing each day. The most common treatment of these disorders is abstinent-based treatment. Due to the opioid epidemic, there has been um, alternative treatment that has become popular called Suboxone Maintenance, which is a form of MAT. MAT, new people just listening, medically assisted treatment. And it means that you take something um, in, instead of your drug of choice. In this case, what we're going to be talking about are people who are addicted to heroin. And instead of taking heroin, you take these little, they usually just come in strips, right? Because that's what I'm now. familiar with. Yeah. Strips, right? Um, they Give have little little strips called Suboxone. And they can be given, hey, Doc, um, when, you, when you prescribe Suboxone to somebody, typically, and I can't believe I'm going to use the number 24, but typically they can, they'll, they'll be given any range from one milligram to 24 milligrams. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah, average is about eight milligrams uh, once, once a day. And then you kind of reassess them within the next 24 to 48 hours to see, you know, how they did with that and go up and down based on that. Okay. Now, you know what? 
And I'm not going to stick straight to the sheet because there's going to be a lot of topics that come up, and you and I have talked about this before, and so I'll throw it out there to you. One of the arguments that's been made, at least for us, um, uh, just as far as the dosage goes, um, I've been told by people who use, who've used heroin for a long time, who've used subs for a long time, who've used heroin and subs, who've, who've done uh, everything under the sun, who've told me that basically anything you prescribe over eight milligrams is kind of pointless, that right. it just doesn't even really make any additional difference at all, yeah, and that eight should really be the cap realistically. Yeah, what would you think about I would that? say, yeah, eight would probably cover about 70 to 80% of people. 16 should cover about 95 and then that 24 to 32, it gets, it, it gets into that range, like if, we're, if the higher dose is even doing anything. Um, like so, 24, like what would somebody have to do in order to earn a 24 badge from you? Um, I could probably, out of probably 1,000 patients, maybe one person has gotten 24, and that's because they came in at 24 or some, or, uh, or they were at 32. There it is, that's a different yeah, thing. So, yep. Yeah, I would say like, you know, 90% are not going over 16 okay. for the most part, yeah. And what about you at your place, Nick? You know, uh, I'd concur with that with the exceptions. And what we need to talk about here is, you know, we're in treatment. We're doing detox. We're doing residential. We're uh, doing PHP. Um, but there is also uh, in our field this maintenance perspective that you're going to be maintained. You're not going to come off. And some of that is in... Uh, unfortunately, the pharmaceutical literature and time and duration. So we haven't settled on something where everyone is speaking the same language. Those of us that are in treatment um, will assess the person, see, check their histories, uh, see what they're doing, and I concur with if you can get them down to a stabilization of eight, if, they, if they're going to stay on, there are people who will want to come off completely and step off. Then there are going to be people who need a shorter duration of it. Um, you know, the human body is a vastly complex biochemical organism along with its own experience. So how do you assess that? How is the, are the treatment people doing that? How we, you and I talked about the people that come to us, what they're used to, what they're not used to, the people that then come to you what are they used to what do they want and the variable in all of this in my mind's eye is that we have to and the treatment component figure out what we've done you know Princeton Detox has done that you have done what you've done and we have embraced both an abstinent model with a medication model based on what the patient brings to them individually but always trying to move them something further down the road um, it's artwork more than it is science and uh, I had a conversation with your folks today about we are looking for partnerships of people that we can work with something medically like you do and then pass on and then complete and get to abstinent now here's the wild card we're a we're a pretty big treatment center there's also the uh, real harm reduction person and that harm reduction person may not be able to do it, the one in a thousand. We may get a little bit bigger sampling of that along the way. What do we do with those? What do those patients deserve? How do we handle that? So this conversation goes all over the map, Richie. Yeah, it does. And yeah. you basically just, I handed you off that simple question of what the milligrams, and, and you I went just, right to the heart of exactly what we're going to be talking today. And I couldn't interrupt because 
I, I won't, right? I mean, you guys at Stream of Consciousness, I'm always a big fan, and you got down to the you got down to brass tacks right away. We didn't ease into it, but you jump right into it, and that's yeah. the truth. That's the crux of this whole thing, and probably appropriate, which is why you know everything comes out when it's supposed to, how it's supposed to, for whatever reason. And you just put it out there. And before we started the podcast, I said to everybody, um, you know, we do these, hopefully we can help a family or two, right? If anybody sees this or listens to this and some people are confused about um, what MATs are, um, what Suboxone is. A lot of people are under illusions about the, you know, Suboxone's not a curative. I don't think it was ever designed to be a curative. Um, But in the end, you know, people have certain beliefs, where it comes to treating addiction and alcoholism. And there's different ways of doing that. And I'm not going to argue. I won't argue with people. I used to. I used to be somebody who would sit there and argue with someone that Suboxone maintenance is wrong and it's it should never be allowed. And it's really? a, yeah, yeah, that's shocking to believe. But <laughs> I believe too. it's a bane on the existence of, of the addiction uh, world. I think Suboxone in and of itself, Suboxone maintenance long term is an absolute horror show and a terrible idea. And yet I'm also somebody who has conceded that there are those cases. There are those people who probably are better served being on long-term Suboxone maintenance. They're, they're, they are there. Those people are out there. I just won't ever minority. be the person. In the minority. Oh, I a huge like, I minority, I think. A huge minority, I think. And I will never be the person. I don't know. Maybe I just don't have enough guts for it. But um, I think it goes way beyond that. But I'm never going to be the guy that looks at another human being and says, you're never really going to be able to get actually better. And so I'm going to resign you to this kind of muted life. And when I say muted life, and and I'll ask you, I'll go to you on it um, for this part of it, because now we're going total stream of consciousness. But I'll go to you and ask you, when somebody's on Suboxone long term, right, they go on Suboxone maintenance, right? If you're on Suboxone for long periods of time, would you think it's safe to say that you don't connect with people emotionally, mentally, in ways that other people do? Does it kind of make you a bit muted? I I just, the experience that I have with it is people, um, maybe not that they lack connection, they're just not happy. (laughs) The bottom line is they're all their emotions seem to be muted after years of being on it. And um, both people that I've met in person and then obviously doing the job that we all do, talking to people, begging to come off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but you know, I always put it out there that I'm an absence-based recovery guy long-term, so I always see the people that are miserable and that it fails. I don't know. like I, I'm not small-minded enough to think that there might not be some people out there that are doing okay on it. Lives have improved dramatically. We just don't see those people in 12-step fellowships because they found a different way for their lives to improve. But yeah, they always want to come off. You know, they're, they're just not happy. Maybe I don't know if it's lack of connection or what it is. I'm just tired of maybe having to take something every day. Um, and then, you know, the, with the drug itself, I mean, a lot of people say you're not high and I've taken it and you don't feel high, but you must be a little high. I mean, it's a, it's an opiate, right? It's a well, so, so, so I'll go there mm-hmm. and I'm going to go over to, 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 to you doc. And I'm going to ask you a question, but I'll tell you a story first. So Mark and I were at a, uh, an event up in Cape Cod and we have our little blue crest table set up and that these events is a way for a lot of the people in the treatment industry to meet one another and talk to one another and see who's doing what and what's going on. You meet with a lot of um, clinicians that come there to get their CEU hours for their licensure every year. And so you exchange ideas and you exchange business cards and you, you know, you tell stories and you hopefully can, can form some uh, relation, meaningful relationships where, okay, I can help people from your area and you can help people from mine and, and, and what we do. 
and so we were there and we're manning our table. And so some gentleman comes and he was uh, somebody who was a big believer in uh, Suboxone maintenance, right? Now it's a, to the point Nick made and we're going to get into it now. But the difference between utilizing Suboxone to bring somebody down until they're off, right? The, the Earl Hightower always says it, who's the, the interventionist from the West Coast. And he always tells uh, clients, which I love to tell clients because it's true, you know, you need to go to the, you want to go to detox, right? Because they're going to load you up in the front end with a lot of meds and they're going to bring you down smooth and easy. And that's the big fear is that they're, they're, they're not going to be brought down smooth and easy. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to go through that horror of, of heroin withdrawals. And so Suboxone is one of the detox medications that they use. And these guys will speak to it. And they give you a particular uh, titration and they take you down and they, they, they taper you off. And then you're, and then you're, you're, you, you finally detox and then you're, you're left at squ- you know, you're left at zero and you're clean. And a lot of people use the detoxes. I'm going to ask you guys these questions as tune-ups. People don't ever look to do residential, then PHP and IOP and get a doctor and, and be under someone's care and to get a therapist and to go to AA or NA or CA or one of those places. People look to go in to do a tune-up so they can go and they can get everything out of their body and they know they need to kind of get set back straight again because yeah. they'll get high, high, high. And then relationship <laughs> tune-up. I'm going to hide out for a week. Everyone that will think too, I'm doing better on, now. <laughs> on top. So now, but Mark he, and I... Mark, heat off. Mark, Mark, yeah, yeah, heat off. Heat off. That's heat it. Off. Mark and I are at this event and one of these doctors comes around to us and starts asking us questions to talk to us and he's starts talking to us and he didn't realize it, but he brought up to us and he was like, oh yeah, Suboxone's the best thing that ever happened to, you know, the community. And I'm like, really? I said, you really believe that Suboxone's the best thing that ever happened? I said, you mean as a, as a detox medication or, and he's like, no, 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 I'm talking about Suboxone maintenance. You never have to use heroin again. And I'm like, yeah, but you're just exchanging one addiction for another addiction. The difference is, and again, this is just for, for me, I said the 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 difference is is that heroin at least when you go through withdrawals five days and you're done you're you know you're done it's super uncomfortable but you're done if you get on long term suboxone maintenance I've seen the withdrawals last for months I've seen people shaking out of their skin that have been on it for years for high doses very hard to kick once you get kicked on there and I'm like and you know you're basically just low level high every day for your life and you're calling that sober and I just don't call that sober and the guy and the guy looked at me and, and he looked at Mark and he was very serious and he said suboxone doesn't get you high. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, Suboxone doesn't get you high. I said, Suboxone? Marcos, Marcos, wait, do you really believe that Suboxone doesn't get you high? And the guy was like, it doesn't get you high. Mark said, really? He said, well, what I would recommend you do is take one milligram strip of Suboxone and put it on your tongue and swallow it. And he said, in about 12, for 12 hours, you'll be laying on the floor drooling. You'll be so high because you've probably never done heroin in your life. Don't tell me it doesn't get you high. The difference is to an addict that's used to a particular level of high after you've been on subs for a little bit, it's, you know, what do they call just getting right, right? When you're not yeah, looking sure. to get high, yeah. you're just looking to do enough heroin to get right. Now, right. to a heroin addict, and, and it's real, it's no, no bullshit, they'll go into a room, they'll do heroin enough just to not get sick, to get right. They, they know the difference. They're not going to do enough to get actually high. They're going to do enough where they can actually function like we are and talking right now, and they're not high. Did right? it for a long time. There you go. And anybody would tell Mark, what are you talking about? You just went and got high. And Mark would legitimately say, yeah, I didn't go get high. I just, I just went and got right. <laughs> and in him, there's a differentiation there, right? But in the end of the day, with Suboxone, you're talking long-term, um, long-term use. We see the back end of that. We see people who are looking to come off 
long-term Suboxone use. And it is uglier than any heroin addiction that I've ever seen kick. So I'll put it over to you, Dr. Ijaz. When somebody comes and will go down the line, you know, for people that are looking to get well um, and people who have heroin addiction specifically, when they come to you and they come to your care, what, what, what do you do? What, walk us through your, you get a phone call. Most of your stuff come from like a phone call or like a pretty personal much. referral. Right, yeah, pretty much. So you'll get a call and somebody named Joe Q Citizen will call you up on the phone and, and just, you know, give us a kind of a rundown of what, what you do and how you manage a situation case by case, right. assuming they probably need detox first. But sure. just tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, depending on what they're using and then uh, what resources they have available. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other components like their site component, where they're living, socioeconomic stuff also. But just from the substance use part of it, uh, typically when they come in, uh, you know, we'll do an evaluation. And if it's something that we can handle, uh, you know, in an ambulatory setting, you know, then we'll explain the precipitated withdrawal, what they're using, is it long-acting, short-acting, how often are they doing it, we'll do a urine drug test, um, and then uh, we'll kind of formulate a plan on, you know, initiating them on Suboxone. That's typically the process for that. Then we'll reassess them within, you know, a day, two, three days, and now it's a little bit longer with COVID, but, you know, and see where they are and uh, stabilize them on the medication. Uh, yeah, but yeah, there are people that, you know, after a while say, hey, I want to come down, and we do come down. Uh, some people come off also, but yeah, uh, the part that you're saying about, you know, months of symptoms in long-term use, yeah, the, the, the phenomenon or uh, situation is uh, basically referred to as post-acute withdrawal syndrome. That's, you know, it'll be pretty severe uh, in those type of cases, similar to like, you know, if you're on Xanax, you know, long-term, and, you know, uh, they'll have the similar kind of episodes. Um, but yeah, I think you kind of mentioned that there's no real, uh, number that, you know, just, it's not like, you know, you have a UTI and take antibiotics for 10 days and you're good to go. Everybody has different situations there. I think there is a group of people, uh, where, uh, long-term Suboxone does work and there's other people that can come off of it. They've done some studies to differentiate, you know, people that will do well with the recovery and, uh, one of them was like IQ-based people that were higher functioning, CPAs, lawyers, doctors. They were able to get clean and stay clean longer than, you know, uh, people that were doing different type of work. Um, and then, uh, you know, there have been some other studies where, you know, Suboxone did prevent overdoses. So, you know, we're talking about two different things. We're talking about long term and then we're talking about just keeping this guy clean. Like the get right method, you know, that you said that, you know, you kind of experience that kind of opens you up to overdoses and to, right now we have such a i think we're we're gonna i think we broke the record already for new no jersey question. in terms of it's gonna overdose. be over a hundred thousand yeah. this year for sure yeah so so ultimately right now you know we're just trying to prevent the overdoses and then we can kind of let's know. talk about that for a second right. i'm gonna ask everybody else because it's an Talking interesting question because normally i wouldn't uh, what are you the mic for? the mic oh. Let's ask everybody, because normally I'm not a proponent at all for Suboxone. I, to me, use it as a, as a, like, I don't agree with a lot of, like, what you guys do in giving it to somebody with an un, un, unknown ending of when they're going to come off of it, and let's kind of see it's different for everybody. And I've read a lot of the studies as well. I mean, there's studies, and then there's the, the, the boots-on-the-ground reality, at least that I see. Although, mine is anecdotal, right? Because I can only go by my personal experience, whereas you're talking about studies that arguably have thousands of Sorry, test right. cases that are followed through. Mine's anecdotal, but... I mean, I see, I have a lot of anecdotal evidence from what I see day-to-day -day boots on the ground. But I will say that right now we're in a weird, you know, this is a one time where 
Suboxone, we're going to have over 100,000 overdose deaths this year alone. Well over 100,000. That's just overdose deaths. Forget about all the other death that comes surrounding addiction this year because of suicide and don't think that alcohol and drugs don't play a huge part mm -hmm. into that stuff when people actually finally go that direction. And there's a thousands of other things, car accidents and this and that, and so much death surrounding addiction in so many ways that don't get tallied or counseled. But I will say that in this weird stretch of time, because of everything going on on the planet between COVID, the lockdowns, this is not normal times. And that's why we're seeing such a spike. It's one of the few times where I would agree that Suboxone is probably preventing short-term, preventing a lot of additional deaths. But when I say prevent, I don't really believe it presents them. What I believe it does, depending on what you do afterwards, it delays them. That's my belief. Like, you look at the success ratios in Mark. You tell me, uh, and be honest, have you, have you ever, it's all anecdotal anyway, you can only go by your life sure. experience, although I know you have dealt with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of on-the-ground people. Have you ever seen Suboxone long-term actually work for anyone? No. <laughs> Never, one, right? one person, and it was, it was not long ago, who had it, like, long-term, was, was clean on maintenance long-term, yeah. six, seven years. Life together, family, all that kind of stuff, one out of hundreds. Yeah. And most of the people but seem to do well for a period of time. And inevitably, from what we see, they do. They do well for a period of time. And this is what I always ask uh, treatment facilities, right? We all have our success rates. Like everyone's, oh, what's your success rate? Like, oh, we have a 95% success rate. And I'm like, no, you don't. Absolutely, we do. And then when you look into the numbers, it's 95% success rate of people who complete their three-week program or whatever, however, whatever data they put that around. And if you've graduated and made it up to graduated and made it up to this point, and there are some of these people where they've told me that they have 90% or, or whatever it is, success rate, but I know for a fact that at least one person was in there like five times because they were back in their program in one year more than five times, and that person was five of that overall success rate of 90%. And so I always, for me, outcomes, we were talking about that before the start of the insurance companies. I mean, I base success on one, two, three, and now for us, it's going to be four-year coins, but that's how I base it on long-term recovery. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, but delaying uh, uh, overdose deaths right now, I think that's probably kind of important, right? Given that we're going to be 100,000 plus deaths this year, given our current circumstances, I don't. It's the one time where I won't disagree with that, that it's probably a good idea right now, given the, the outside forces that are coming to bear. What do you think, Nick? Well, I've got several thoughts. Um, the first one is that this isn't brand new. This is just like alcoholism. You know, I've been at this for a very long time. And um, people had a lot of opinions about alcoholics and the stigma that went with it. And everybody wanted one fix across the board for alcoholism. And uh, abstinence was one of the most substantial. We also find that with all the other drugs that have come down the road over the years, but we still have this. Everyone wants the magic bullet. They want the McDonald's for all addiction. And a very long time ago, I was in a um, class with Dr. David Smith from Haight-Ashbury, 40-some-odd years ago. And he had a statement about what addiction is, and his statement was, it is dose plus frequency plus physiologic 
plus psychological makeup equal addiction. You know what he just said? It's different for every individual coming <laughs> down the deal, and we try to spray magic on them. Suboxone is the newest magic spray for addiction, and I think it's a wonderful medication to save a life in the moment. Then it is how it is managed and how treatment people develop a consistent management of that human being so coming to, down. I'm gonna, I want to shoot it back to Dr. Ijaz because yeah. before we started this, and you know, you, you bring that up, before we started the podcast, we were talking and we were talking about how messed up this year is and how difficult things are. And one of the things that, that he was saying that bothered him so much was seeing all, like we're all seeing right now, the additional relapses and overdose deaths and everything that's actually going on because of everything going on. And what he was saying was how it can kind of, in, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said it could break your heart when you do a lot of hard work with these people and you put in a lot of time, invest yourself in this case, and then to see the guy lose his job, lose his girl, lose blah, 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 and all of a sudden they're relapsed again. And, you know, we feel it because we take it home. And that's one of the reasons why I'm glad we asked you to come to be on the panel because there's people out there that are just writing sub prescriptions like drug dealers and I know you're not one of those people which is why you're here um, so and and so to kick it back to you um, and I might lose my train of thought but Nick when you were just talking about that I, it made me realize that I wanted to go back to Dr. Jaws. and what was the reason um, God and we're in a live podcast just so everybody knows when I speak I go on speaking commitments all the time and I've been in a room full of 3,000 people and totally lost what I was just saying. And I look at the people in the front row and I go, what was I just saying? And literally people will all laugh. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. My brain is broken because of all the use and abuse of, of alcoholism. Um, but I bounce it back to you because um, when you were talking about before, again, it, given the state of where we're in with the Suboxone, and that's what it was. And you had said that it's, it's, it's how we prescribe it. You can save a life. But then... After that, what does it look like? Because I kind of cut That's you off. What does it look like after? I like it because you see the cases through. Sure. That's my point. You're not just writing prescriptions sure. and saying, here you go, see you next week. I, I got to tell you, Doc, I, I got to tell you how many times we hear the story where we'll have somebody call us and they'll want to come to our place or they'll want to go. Sometimes it's methadone too, by the way, which I know you're probably not, you're not somebody who prescribes methadone, but there's people who are like, and even benzos, and we'll tell them like, well, listen, go to your doctor and tell your doctor that they got to start bringing you. We can't take you. You're way too high. Tell your doctor. The doctor tells them, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like, what do you mean you're not doing that? You're supposed to be getting treatment while you're on Suboxone in the, fir in the first place when you're on, right? MAT is supposed to have, have counseling, which is what sure. you do, right? You see these people and you see their case through as they go. And then arguably, except for the cases where, and who am I to say, for people who stay on long term but if people are the goal I'm, I'm assuming then what do you with in court in conjunction with them and what they're looking at and how they see it the goal is to what get them off eventually to zero if that's what their stated sure. goal is like how do you yeah. how do you judge that how do you I mean do that? you know first time i see him like i just had a case recently uh, the guy lost his job he relapsed and you know he lost everything and he was basically living in his car so that guy it's not going the question number or uh, you know Option number one is not going to be okay. You know, pick this, and we're going to try to get you off. It's like I don't want you to overdose in your car while you're homeless. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is also a lot of the other IOP programs. I know you guys are still running. A lot of places shut down. A lot of doctors that were giving Suboxone closed up shop. You know, they were older docs and they didn't want to be exposed to COVID. So a lot of the patients did get abandoned. Uh, so that's what I saw. You know, on the ground, 
basically to try to give as much support and try to stabilize people and keep them in a safe enough environment where they aren't overdosing. But in general, like I, ha I have someone else that relapsed. I mean, he, you know, he tells me he's got a nice place in Jersey City with the great view of the city and water and this and that so that person relapsed so yeah then that person we would have um you know he has a more stable environment we would come up with the plan okay we're gonna this is how we're going to go about it this is not your first rodeo and uh this is when we're going to you know these are the signs and these are the milestones that we want to hit and then try to get you off and obviously counseling and therapy is a big part of that yeah no doubt um so now nick let's jump over to you Right. Let's go to your level of care. You get a phone call as well. Um, you get plenty of them, although you ain't answering the phones anymore. But um, well, sometimes, you sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Hey, sometimes. We, we, like we you, like that. you. Yeah, absolutely. Like you. We do that sometimes. Yeah. But let's just say um, you're getting a call from um, Susie Q Citizen and they're calling up at Brookdale and they're saying, hey, you know, we have your number and I have this issue and and go. We have a team and, you know, the. Uh, the intake team, the admissions team, is to get as much data for evaluation as we can possibly get. And we want dose and frequency, and we want previous treatment, and we want health, and we want et cetera, et cetera. And by the time they're calling us, they want to come in because of whatever they're stuck in out there. And you know what? Sometimes it's a pure motivation to get help, and sometimes it's not so pure of a motivation. Um, and that's what happens once they arrive. When they come in, they're being triaged and detox. They're being evaluated medically. You know. So, look, we are what I call a hybrid treatment center today. We have a very open mind about the use of medicines, the initiation, the tapers, the step down. Uh, the referral and in developing partnerships that will help after they leave. But everyone is exposed to and educated on the abstinence and the 12-step model. You know, there's still a war going on in our industry. It's either this or it's that. Uh, or it's that. that is foolish, and it's, it's extraordinarily um, unprofessional, in my opinion. And um, so... We are listening to the patient. You're clinically being reviewed. We're coming up with treatment plans, and we're talking to the patient and all the evaluations that you were talking about, Doc. And, you know, sometimes patients agree for a week, and then they change their mind. You know, this opiate deal, because of the deaths, current, the way they happen, let's just say 100,000 a year, you know, patients used to be ignored. You know, here's your treatment program, follow it or leave. That's kind of cruel and harsh today also. So we evaluate, we try and get them stable. And I really want to say something about whether it's Suboxone or a straight detox. You know, you don't get your mind back in five or ten days. You don't get the ability. And then there is the frontal lobe damage that chronic years of abuse an assault of drugs on your brain has on how you make a decision. So everything we should be doing should be assistive, giving them information and showing them hope and a window of light of what they can be. Without exception, almost everybody that comes into us has forfeited a piece of their life. And the best way that I understand that is that if you walk into a nursery, it's the brightest light you're going to see with human beings. They're all bright, all the children. There's just a bright light in there. And when you meet addicts, whether they're alcoholics or whether 
they're heroin addicts, their light is dim, and they've forfeited it. Some of the medicines keep that light dim, but allow them to stay alive and not OD on fentanyl or, or, or bad dope out there. So my question, I'm going to interject because I'm going to yeah. lose it if I don't. Go ahead. And it's for both both of you, really, because I don't, I don't understand how, where is the data saying that this is stopping people from overdosing? I, I've taken Suboxone. I know that there is a blocker effect of taking Suboxone. But if I want to get high, I skip a dose, right? I work in a detox that we do absence-based treatment. We really don't on-ramp anybody to Suboxone maintenance unless they've come in already on Suboxone maintenance, which is another point, which I find funny is that you're coming in you want to stay on maintenance but it's, it didn't work right i mean and recidivism is huge for all of us absence or not mm-hmm. but you have a lot of control with suboxone and i and i understand the nature of the drug very well and once it builds up you might have to wait a little bit longer mm-hmm. and i can play devil's advocate in my own mind because i just had a guy that was living in my sober house that i wish was on suboxone instead of dead right now you know i mean he left and three days later that's he a great point right he's 57 there. years Mark. old but at the end of the day, if you want to get high, you stop taking it and you can get high. Or now with fentanyl, you can power through Vivitrol, for God's sakes. Well, so I, so you're right. You you and I aren't on opposite ends of this discussion. Yeah, no, and, I don't think we see, are. I'm not, the, and I don't the, want to impose it that way. The, dis, the discussion but I hear from that I'll sell my Suboxone, too. Well, you know what we have? I've been in the offices to, and you, saw. You know what? They get a, a Suboxone prescription or they get their deal. They go out. They sell that, they use heroin, then they go back for their Suboxone. You know, yeah. everyone's trying to outsmart addiction. Right. It cannot be outsmarted. And my the addicts question. are yeah, smarter than know, everybody. In that case, the, the, the addicts, and in those examples, they're not trying to outsmart our addiction. They're just trying to outsmart us. Well, they're lying to him, they're lying to you, they're lying to their parents, they're lying to the wife feels. and the husband. They're, oh, honey, look, I'm on Suboxone now, and blah, blah, blah. See, these are the informative, these are the information. As far as getting high through Vivitrol, I guess that's a whole different conversation because that's a... but. You know, I, I I understand what you're saying, but but let's that that's kind of fringy. Like at least yeah, it doesn't what we're happen. Talking often. about Agreed. Um, well, you can die. You can an addict. Again, I go back to that willingness. I have had patients who have been on Vivitrol, and they shot enough. You know, it's on the warning label. Do not do this. Do not do that. Over turn over power. Addicts do not pay attention to that. Yeah, so no. they're on Vivitrol. They overpower the Vivitrol. They OD and yeah, they of die. Of course, and it can happen. And and I'll sell this to the to the to the families and to the parents. Guess what you can do when you're on Vivitrol? Crack. Smoke crack. Yeah. You could still get high. You're just not getting high of your drug of choice. But it's a drug of no it's choice. And so anyway. you'll, yeah, you'll take second place. Second we place are smarter than the people managing us, there, so to speak. There More is. clever, not smarter. But, clever. And there it is. And, you know, there's also differences in the people. You know, Dr. Ejaz is talking about saving a life. And I understand your point. I and wish I'm that guy was I, on I, it. I, I get it. And which he's, he said, that speaks exactly to what if they're that saying. Work, but but you know. also knows, understand Mark's point as well. You know, there's two different classes here, too. You talked, you, you quoted one of the studies about, well, higher IQs showed that it was blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I hear you. Like I said, I'm sure that there can be studies tailored to a lot of things. But I will say, you've got your... You've got your your street addicts, and then you've got your soccer mom addicts. And I don't mean just soccer moms, but you know what I mean. People who were sports people who got hooked on painkillers, and then the painkillers, you know, because of the new programs in place now, uh, you can't get those prescriptions anymore. Now you're buying them from the street. A lot of them are made in pill mills, and those pill mills have fentanyl, and they make them for the potency of these fake pills, and they look real enough. Some of them even stamp the damn number on there, and they look real enough, but here you are. You're buying these street pills that were not made in Pfizer or any of these pharmaceuticals or Purdue. 
who just got sued the balls off of them for like billions and billions. But, um, you know, this was made on the street in some in some pill mill, right? And that's, you know, so even the soccer moms, you know, they're, they get hooked on this stuff and they can overdose just to see. But that's, there's a differentiation. There's a different class. And the people who are like the street guys, you know, that's what they're, they're gaming the system. And so Mark's point is you ain't saving that guy's life with Suboxone. Bullshit. He already knows the game. He's been in and out. He's going to use the subs to ride him to where he needs to go with a plan in place. And you ain't saving a life by giving it to that guy because he's using it as a, as a short-term tool. And it's not now some of the other folks, however, that this is maybe not their first rodeo, but it's not like they've been around for everyone where everyone says, hey, Butch, you know, they've been around a couple of times maybe, or they could be brandy new. Those people, I would say, maybe you may be saving a life. You know what I mean? Like you're giving them the subs. It just, for me, and this is where I want the discussion to be, to me, that's an opportunity is all that is. When you first give somebody Suboxone, it's opportunity. I'm going to agree with what you said. And then what they do with it. And then what they do with it. what we show them to do with it, right? right? And that's, and I'm going to agree with you. I'm not saying that my way is the only way, but it's the only way that I concentrate on. People come to us and say, well, I want to be on Suboxone maintenance. And we'll tell them, it's a bad idea and let me tell you why. But at the end of that conversation, if those people say, well, I still want to be on Suboxone maintenance, we're going to say, all right, well, this isn't the right place for you because it's not what we do. But here, call these guys, you know, and good luck and, you know, let us know how things are working out for you. I'm not, not, it's not, it's not only my way, but if you're going to get somebody to agree to go on, on subs and you're going to save that life. And then you can introduce them to people who can walk them on a path because recovery doesn't happen by accident or by osmosis. Maybe the accountants and the CEOs, because they're smarter than everybody else. I've actually seen, again, anecdotally, I've seen people be a little too intelligent sometimes and they find it very hard to maintain long-term recovery because they're too small for their own good. But that aside, um, I don't know. Well, What happens here is, um, and you know, these little cliches, that you know, one shoe does not fit all. And yet, those of us that know and are part of a recovery system who have recaptured a a life forfeited have an enthusiasm about it and know that certain things are possible. And I believe they're possible for everyone. Mm -hmm. What is a little bit different today because of um, media, pharmaceutical, uh, physicians, uh, money, 200 patients a doctor can have a year, say all of it, and the treatment industry, is that the patient has more of a say in their initial treatment, at least when they come into a detox or they come into a doctor's office. Now, I can tell them whatever, and if, when we get people, and if they want maintenance, we are getting them off of fentanyl, stabilizing them, and then we do a handoff to a maintenance program. That is their call. Now, we expose them to everything else and all the other choices, but I think it's once upon a time, it's as improper for us to force feed that as the only way as it would be a maintenance prescriber to say this is the only way. There are many paths to where we're getting, and it's the timing and the history. I don't ag- I don't disagree with that, but what I will save it, say is that for me, I need, for me, I need to be brave and unpopular enough to be able to say, I don't disagree with anything you just said, but the way I know is the way I know, and I, the rest of the stuff I leave to other people. I don't, I'm just, we are good at what we do. I'm not for everyone. My program that we set up is not for everybody. And we have people who call us in, and I'm not going to be that. I don't have, 
well, we, we do 12 steps. We do, what are the other smart things? Recovery. Smart right. recovery and this and that. And there's, you know, there's 15 other things. And yeah, yeah, we're, whatever you want to do, who am I to say? Well, I'm the owner of Blue Crest Recovery Center. And we have a particular way of doing things that we know works in the long run for us. That's why we love you. Wrong. That is why well, we love sad you. That's what it is. But you I'm know, not saying anybody else is wrong. I'm just saying that I'm not for everybody. And I'm not trying to be. And so further up the stream, you guys don't get to have that luxury that I do. See, I'm further down the stream where you guys are. You have to be pliable like that to funnel them where, because there's a willingness and you've got to get them to a place. Then when they do go to that med- that, that medicated assisted treatment uh, facility that you're talking about, I know you're referring them to a good one where they're going to do counseling with it and they're going to try and get those people to come off because mom and dad and husband and wife and whoever's out there watching this podcast, the end goal, I think we would all agree, is to be free. To be free of any dependence on a minor mood-altering substance in any way, shape, or form at some point. The end goal is to get to get free and to not be a slave to any particular drug or or anything that you need to put inside of your body. I think we all agree with that. It's just a matter of how you get there, right? Is that would you? Would I, you I think would that's agree with fair? that, and um, I would also agree that we're our shoe doesn't fit everybody in the way that we do it, and that we're closer to you than we are to who we are, except we run a emergency room for addiction. Right. It is not a detox. See, detox has a certain connotation. We bring people in at wherever they are, meet them, look to stabilization, and then look to move them on in several different ways. Um, it is a, um, it is a challenging way to treat people. It is challenging to the staff, and what I want to reinforce here at uh, Brookdale, we do individualized assessment and care, and it is, it is not a cookie cutter. And I know other treatment facilities that don't go through the labor that we go through yep. to get that done. But it says in the brochure that it's individualized care. I uh, read that all the time. It's a well, catchphrase in the field, individualized care. You know, but then our, there's people who put that in their brochure that actually do that, and then there's people where it just says yeah. it in their brochure. I'll leave. You know what? Our assessment comes more from our patients. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about the secret sauce that I believe we have. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, too. We really, our patients feel loved and cared for. We go out of our way to treat them with dignity, respect, love, and care. We believe that the addict can take a beating better than a drum. And so there's no need to be harsh, difficult, condescending, or not listen to some of their participation. The artwork is how you take that information and try and redirect them into the, a direction that they can live with. I will tell you we've probably had 15 patients that um, uh, we have directed to other people. And quite frankly, when you read your history, and unless they get the hand of God on them, I don't know if they'll ever get the opportunity that some of us have gotten mm-hmm. in recovery. So my question is, what is our responsibility for that group if our doors open and they come in? Yeah. And what it is is to pass them on to the best care they can get, not unlike a doctor with his door open, is trying to do no harm and trying to do the best that he can to get them down the road. This addiction wants a very quick fix. And I think what has happened between the age, the availability of drugs, the pervasiveness of it, we have this army of drug, alcohol, 
chemical medication users that is overwhelming all systems, and we have not come together and had a coordinated effort of agreement yet. So things like this are part of that. I think some of the things that we're doing up there is bringing the best that's available and not saying I'm this or that. I've had conversations with you. They couldn't wait for you and I to meet, <laughs> Richie, because of the way that we Common background. Been, Common what? recovery, I think, is probably why, right? Well, from what with the, the, the way that we've been and how uh, uh, contentious we can be in our belief systems, <laughs> and yet it has to be driven by the patient in front of you and do the best you can. Now, whether they all come to your place, they all come to my place, they go, you know what? It's doing the best you can for that patient that sits in front of you. Um, let me ask, Vivitrol, different, totally different thing, right? So totally, totally, two completely different animals. Um, you know, to me, I'll just tell you my baseline, that Vivitrol, I'm a fan. I, will, I don't know anybody, I don't know why you wouldn't be for what it is, for the tool that it is. It's not a curative in any way, shape, or form. Like Mark said, if you take Suboxone and you just skip a dose, you can get high. Vivitrol is just a longer version of that, and it doesn't get you high. It's a blocker. And, well, I'll let you explain what Vivitrol actually is, and and you can explain it. But if, to me, what we look for is right around day 26, their phones go dark. Uh, They get Vivitrol, and then we can't get in touch with them on day 26, 27, 28, and 29. Because on day 30, they can get high again. Well, somewhere in that window. You know, it's the blocker stops working, and unless they re-up and they get that next injection. So it's not a curative, right? You can't get high while you're on it, putting aside the pushing through it with the... But but you can't get high while you're on it. But the difference is, and now they're a longer-term... Aren't they longer-term... Are there any longer-term Vivitrol shots now? Um, I think the window's still about that. Implants. It's still, but the yeah. Some people do the implant the now implants again. implants actually work Three months, term? 90 days. Is it? Do they do the slow release? But anyway, having said that, at some point, it's not a curative. At some point, you're going to be given an option, an opportunity. To me, the question is, see, I like for our sober homes, you know, anytime somebody's going to come and they're going to go live in a sober home, you know, one of the houses because they're not ready to go back home yet and they want to live in a sober, supportive environment. If you're a heroin addict, you, you should be on you should be on um, Vivitrol, you know, because we know that for that next 27 days to 30 days, you're not going to be able to get high on heroin, right? You're not going to wait. We're not going to wake up and find you dead in one of our sober homes. And if you can avoid being dead, then you have a much better chance of accepting a lifestyle and to having some experience that can take you beyond where you are. So Vivitrol, what is it? Explanation to the folks and, and, and tell us about Vivitrol. So Vivitrol chemically is a competitive uh, antagonist. Basically it means that, you know, if with your heroin percocet, it breaks down to like, if you think about like a morphine molecule, it, it uh, inhibits that molecule from activating the receptor. So, you know, prevents it, prevents you from quote unquote getting high basically. It comes in two forms, injectable, which you mentioned, which lasts about, you know, uh, 28 days, let's say. And then it has a pill form also, which people take uh, for alcoholism, opiate use disorder. And what is it? Isn't that typically just to, to help with urges? Is that typically what There, there what are some for? craving, yeah, craving Cravings? benefits yep. as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think Vivitrol, just like, you know, any inje- long-term injectable, like any psych medications, a lot, there's a lot of psych medication because you can imagine psych patients can be pretty non-compliant at times. So just to maintain uh, compliance with the medication, that's, you know, that's one of the advantages that you give them a shot and you know that they're good for, like you said, that 24, 25 days. And uh, you have you have that window of opportunity to kind of get them on a plan, get them in a program and kind of stabilize them, change their, you know, 
uh, outlook and you know approach on what how they're going to move forward. And what's the rule on getting the Vivitrol shot? How many days removed do you have to be from? I know there's rules around Vivitrol, right? Like you can't take Vivitrol if you've been high within the last X. Right. Um, don't most people have to take naltrexone first pill form to make sure they don't have an allergic reaction to it? Right. Yeah. So so typically, uh, you know, you get a smaller dose. So typically, you can't, you should not have used any opiate within the last seven to ten days. So that's kind of the drawback. So like you said, you know, somebody calls me and uh, says, hey, I want to come, I want to, you know, get off what I'm using. I can't tell them, okay, I'll see you in a week and a half. You right. Know? Works so, better for his level of care, right? If they're sure. going to be in detox res for 28, 30 days, Absolutely. if he can get them to plan and see the sense in Vivitrol. I mean, for parents, for husbands, wives, Vivitrol doesn't suck. If we can do our job and we can get them to agree to do Vivitrol, you know, you don't have to worry. At least mom and dad don't have to, the, the, the thing I don't like, the negative part of that is because we see this happen sometimes they just want to go right home because mom and dad are like all right well you said he can't get high for the next mm -hmm. 30 days right. so what difference does it make right. well because it's not just time time is not going to not curative either right. just putting yourself distance between the last time you used uh, and 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 later that doesn't make you more well it just means more time has passed right it's the work we do while it's there it's not just burning time you know, right again we've been here before um but it just whether you know the history or not, there used to be uh, an abuse for alcoholics. Yeah, sure. And it was, in its design, it was for someone with intact family, intact job, with high motivation to give you enough time to get further down the road with counseling. So in our infinite wisdom in America, we gave all alcoholics an abuse. Yeah. And when you drank on an abuse, it was a horrible show of illness and sickness. We tend to do this. We have the answer, so let's give everybody everything. And what it basically denies is the will of the addict. You know, why would somebody know that they're going to get sick and drink? And still why do would it. Somebody, still do it. Why, and, and, yeah, and why would somebody uh, on Vivitrol shoot heroin on Vivitrol before the 27 days are over because it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the addiction interior is of an addiction. But I'm going to do it once my brain says I'm getting high, I'm getting high, period. So without support, counseling, repetition, repetition. So we want control. We want control of the attic. You can't have it. I know it's bad that I completely understand their thought process, you know, just because I'm a sicko. Um, As the panel idiot, because I don't have credentials of any kind except for a long time in recovery. So I think, and life, little life experience, little life experience, and having done Vivitrol, naltrexone implants, Suboxone, all that stuff. How did it work, Mark? Well, he cut, he cut, you already he, know my he answer. He cut his implants out with a steak knife so he can get high. But so, anyway. But the, the thing, it just seems to me, from observation only, example. that for the person to be successful, it's about motivation. It's about their motivation. And that the, the motivation level to be successful on maintenance versus uh, abstinence is the same. It requires the same motivation level. So why... Why use something? This is just my, one of my things I think about this stuff. Why use something that they're going to have to kick down the line? And it's going to be a, a kick. No matter how low you go, I would get down to shavings back when they were still sublingual pills. I would shave a side of a credit card and snort it because that's, you know, but I could not make the jump off. 
But if the motivation is there and all things being equal, I mean, I mean, the reality is too, I think none of it works all that great, right? Really, if you look at just raw numbers of people that actually get and stay sober, specifically with opiates, I think it's like those that stay clean and sober a year is 1%. 1% gets saying, that's that used to be what the number was. But anyway, the point is like, if the motivation level needs to be the same for both, why? You know, I just don't if we could create we a could, national you know index, what I'm if we could like, create a national decision making index to we have a just a standard where someone comes in and we test their IQ, we test all these different things we ask them the way we do an assessment. But if somebody comes in motivated, I would right away I would say that should disqualify them from even being on Suboxone because you've already got the motivation. If yeah. you've got the motivation, yeah. you have a much higher chance of actually it. It makes re- sense. Re- right? I mean, yeah. I know where you're for, going for sure. The job of the treatment center is to motivate. Boom, that's and all to it get is. them willing to accept a, an yeah. alternative lifestyle yeah. to the lifestyle that they're living now. The people who are not motivated that don't want to do it, maybe you do save a life for a period of time until guess what? We have to do our job. Then our job is to get you motivated. That's our job. Our job is to be a cheerleader, to get you motivated, to get you do the stuff that you don't want to do, to get somebody who's highly resistant to 12-step recovery. Jim, our clinical director, says it all the time. We specialize in highly resistant clients, and yet we still find ourselves getting aggravated at people because they're not seeing things the way we're hoping by a particular time. But guess what? That's what we're supposed to be good at, right? We're supposed to be, oh, look, a chipmunk. Um <laughs> That little guy, he comes all the time when we do this. I love it. I wish you you all could have seen that. It was very cute. Take my word. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? All treatment isn't the same. See, you're talking as if treatment is treatment, and there's an inconsistency of, of what people believe, how they do it, how they take people on, how they don't. Um, in an ideal world, MAT, a detox med, a stabilization med, if everybody was in treatment from for 90 to 120 days and whatever level they went into and everybody practiced the same thing, I could almost guarantee you outcomes would be different with the exception of some of the physiological and other comorbidity situations mm-hmm. of addiction. So it's we can motivate, but you know what? What happens when the motivation's removed and it hasn't been internalized? And you get that through practice. It's just like sports. It's just like music. You've got to practice doing the things that you're supposed to do. Medication isn't going to help you with that. It only buys you time. Buys you time. I agree. I agree. What do you think, Mark? You good? I'm so good. we covered Vivitrol. We covered subs. We uh, what li- about this? Sublocate. What do you guys think? See, that's one that's starting to get me. A little is, off the MAT thing, sublocate. But isn't sublocate just long-term suboxone? Yes, just that gets but, and doctor, I don't know if you use it at all. I don't know if you have any experience, Nick. But the difference is, there's a couple things, because we all know behavior is huge. You're not reliant on taking something every day. Fair enough. Correct. It's a lower dose. That, 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 and just so It's kind of a big every, deal. I will say that the act of, right, when you quit smoking, for example... It's the hardest thing is what you do with your hands. Like right. you, we become a slave to the process of getting high as much as the drug and the feeling itself. So I'll give you that. Although to me, I'm still not there at sublocate. But go ahead. I, I just wanted to. Well, it seems to me, my very small sample size, the one person I knew that was on the stuff um, stopped taking it, and the the withdrawal was easy. 
And I don't know that it was intended. Total. I don't. I don't know that I can. Seems the one person to... you knew. I, I don't. I don't know that I could go there with it. But fair enough. I just I mean, wonder. I, I'm not saying I that. Know. I don't. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not dismissive of anecdotal stories like that. But all of this. All you know. of this is look. Everything we've talked about so far is an outside-in job. There it is. And you know what? Anybody that knows anything about human beings knows it's an inside-out. And it's how you get there and what gets your insides to do the switch, to make a committed effort to the direct, a different direction. So all of this either buys you time, helps you reduce pain, but... What we're supposed to be doing is getting people to do something inside out. And you know, if we don't get there, I mean that's it. I mean that's, that's inside the, out. But you're talking about the core of the my twelve step beliefs speaks to that. But I'm I'm with you ten thousand percent. You know, I just realized that as we come to the end of our our time that we spent together, um, you know, the next the term was used. I think Doctor Jaws used the term harm reduction. One of you guys used the term in in as a part of the conversation we have, which the term harm reduction would fit well into the conversation about uh, Suboxone or Methadone, which is was but, the preferred use not for treatment. harm reduction. That's not treatment. No, it's not treatment. That's not treatment. And what I was going to say is harm reduction, we could do a whole, and probably will. As a matter of fact, I'd like to do a panel on harm reduction where I'm going to have a TV set up in the back, and I'm going to go out with some people and videotape places that you can see what harm reduction actually looks like. See... To the sheriff and to the local politician and to the townspeople, I get you. I see the allure of harm reduction. I get it because the crime stats go lower short term. This appears to improve. I then go, if you ever go into the city, I remember the first time I was driving across town on 57th, I think it is, and you come up to the light on 57th and like 10th, right around there. And all of a sudden you see it's, I mean, it's early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and you see a line of people that, I mean, definitely homeless, the, the people who are like, they're all over the place. And you see them doing the shuffle, the methadone shuffle. And no one is out of line. Now, when it's over and you come back later and they all go in, they're all waiting to get their methadone dose. But if you screw around online, they'll throw you out. So you never saw people more, no one's going to yell at each other. And later on, you see them all, and they're fist fighting in the streets over a, a, over a half a cigarette that was in the gutter, and who has a beer in their, in, out of their minds. But when they're ready to go get their dose, no one's going to take the chance of getting thrown out, and they do the methadone shuffle, and they stay in a neat line. That's, that's harm reduction. That's what you can see it. Like it's visceral. Like you can you can see the the point of the whole thing is that if you can keep them all and control the addiction and you keep them a slave to the addiction, it does what the neighborhoods want, which is to have them not seen and have them not heard, and they're just kind of written off right into that subculture that you don't see because you give them the synthetic heroin that they need to survive. And we I think did, that we sucks. Did, we did this with alcoholism. We we had the conversation earlier. Thunderbird was harm reduction. <laughs> there it is. Wild Irish Rose was harm reduction. <laughs> was there a time they thought, right they thought uh, someone said it? <laughs> they never time. used that word, but <laughs> no, yeah, medicate yeah, yeah. the masses, yeah, keep them quiet, it. don't yeah. let them burn the neighborhood down. But legit for alcohol, exactly. didn't they think that the silver bullet at a point in time, somebody said this, I don't know for sure, was uh, Valium. Was that a thing at some point uh, in the 70s? Uh, they thought uh, this would yeah, do it? I think that is Valium, true, actually. Valium yeah, yeah. used to be referred to. Alcoholism was a valium deficiency. Right? Yes, right. That's a that was a real thing. 
And, and then, and thank God, Betty Ford became evicted uh, uh, to uh, Valium, and Dr. Persh changed all that. And now, the, and by the way, Valium was non-addictive. In case you didn't know that, oh, once upon so was OxyContin, wasn't it? Uh, and so was OxyContin, and and so was everything that we use. Yeah, uh, listen, the Coca-Cola put cocaine in cigarettes, in, in soda back. In cigarettes the are not addictive, according to the. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Tell that to the pregnant lady. Um, so, uh, I have anybody ever seen the movie Dazed and Confused? Um, I there's one of my favorite parts in Dazed and Confused where he's going in to buy beer illegally because he was under 18 and he's standing in line with the six pack. And there's a pregnant lady buying, and the guy's putting cigarettes and vodka in a bag for it. He goes, and remember to eat a green thing every day. See you tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, my God. But that's, you know, we're in a totally different time than we were back in yeah. the 70s, man. We've grown up in some ways and gotten even worse in others. But um, So listen, uh, I think that we've covered as much as we can cover. We could go on and on, and we could talk about different uh, aspects of this forever. But um, I appreciate you all guys and at least becoming part of the conversation. And uh, anybody who's interested to have, sorry, we didn't go to, if there were any questions, I didn't even ask, but you know, we got on a roll. So anybody who did have any questions, we'll get back to you uh, on via email and answer them. And I'll even direct them to these characters. If it's one that's more appropriate to someone else than to me. Um, other than that, I'm going to say that from, uh, from blue crest, uh, we're going to be signing off. Anybody have any final parting words that you want to give to the, the 53 people that are signed on and watching us? <laughs> Anybody? No. No? Uh, thanks, for Thanks. Good Thanks for, for, thanks for coming, guys. I good, appreciate good, you good all very much. And we're signed off. <laughs>